Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hello, I'm Martin Bayfield, and this is the Rugby Tonight podcast. On this week's show, Brian O'Driscoll joined us in the studio to look back at a weekend of European rugby full of thrills and spills and no little controversy. Here's the best of our Rugby Tonight insight and analysis from Brian O'Driscoll, Lawrence Delalio, Austin Healy and Sarah Elgin. Worrying times for, for London Welsh, um, a club founded in 1885. One of the great names of... World Club Rugby in severe difficulties. A winding up petition has been delayed at the moment, but London Welsh owing £1.7 million at the moment on gates of about 400. It is worrying times for the grand old boys of Old Deer Park. Yeah, and the sad thing, we've dealt with the facts, but let's talk about the emotional side of it. You know, one of the game's most iconic clubs, that they, they will probably be going to the bottom of the English league and having to start again. It's, it's really sad, Lawrence, isn't it, when you think of it like that? Yeah, it is very sad because of the history and heritage of the club. If you think about the great players that have played for that club, uh, you know, half of the, uh, you know, that great Welsh team in the, in the 70s uh, and all the players subsequently. But uh, I think when, you know, the game is obviously professional at the very top, but when you get clubs below that are trying to spend money to get into that, you know, premiership, often they're making decisions that the club just simply can't afford. And that would be the case with London Welsh. Let's hope that, you know, if there is the end of them as a professional club, that they can still exist uh, or re-exist as an amateur you know, club, albeit they'll have to start at the bottom of the leagues and work their way up. We've seen that done with Richmond before. But uh, it kind of adds an argument to the fact, you know, should the top you know, top clubs in the country be ring-fenced because at the moment you've got teams that are trying to get there and they're living way beyond their means. And it was hard, isn't it? Because we were looking at that picture yeah. behind you earlier on. We were saying what a lovely picture it is, isn't it? It's, it's I don't think there's it. anything wrong with that. I think Lowell's got a good point. It's almost, are we at a stage now where the game should split and you should say that the amateur game there's certain elements of it that can't become professional. It's not sustainable. Even the big clubs in the Premiership are struggling financially without big benefactors behind them. And there's nothing wrong with a picture no, like that. That is, it is. It's, it's a like great picture, just outside queue. You know, maybe a thousand, two thousand people, six or seven big games of the season. Go down your local club, have a pint in the local bar afterwards. It's not all about being on TV. It's not all about getting paid professional wages. It's not all about playing for England. It never was when we all started. 
Certainly, that wasn't the case. And having your local club like that has got a lot to be said for it. Being in an old rickety stand, watching a game with your mates, you don't always have to go to the local biggest club. Now, Premiership Rugby will hate me for saying that, but the fact is, there's local clubs you can still have a great Saturday out at, and they don't have to pay their players 125 quid a week or 200 quid a week. What's the point? You know, it's not going to change your life. Go and play for your local club, have a beer with your mates, and get a job with the guy that works there that owns a building firm. That's what I did. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> now, I said their debts are 1.7. It's not debts, their, sal their, their wage wages, cap. Yeah. Uh, their wages are 1.7 million. That, that is crazy. Of course, they're not the first club that have hit financial difficulties. There's a whole host of others, as rugby went professional, mm. who've fallen by the wayside. But, of course, we do wish them well. Now, some news that broke as we were getting ready for the show, believe it or not, we do rehearse this one, <laughs> is the news that Dylan Hartley Loosely, has, <laughs> has received a six-week ban. And this is the incident. A lot of talk about this one. Uh, Lawrence, you were very vocal that night about, uh, before this happened, about Dylan Hartley's involvement with Northampton and not being selected and maybe players' attitudes to coming back from international duty. Uh, your take on him getting a six-week ban? Well, I think it was a red card. I think we all, we've all agreed on that. And under the old tariffs, because World Rugby have just published some new tariffs which come into effect on the 3rd of January, it was actually a five-week ban he, he picked up. He got an extra two weeks. Uh, because of his previous record, which is not good. He's been banned for 54 weeks going into that one. Um, and then he takes a week off because he pleaded guilty. So, in total, he's got six weeks. Um, and that probably sounds about right for the offence. The bad news is... Well, the good news is that he's available for selection, if selected by Eddie Jones. And that, Eddie Jones has now got a question mark around whether he picks him, either as a player and as a captain, and we'll talk about that in a second. The bad news, of course, is that Northampton won't see him for another six weeks. He'll have a nice Christmas, he'll be training hard, but he's only played, he's only started in one game for his club this season. And I just find that, that incomprehensible. As a, as a player who's wanting to play international rugby, you've got to be walking the talk with the swagger, week in, week out, playing against the very best players in Europe um, for your club. Um, I want to go on your point, actually, about you know, a lot of people are saying, should he be... England captain now, should he get that taken away from him? Um, interesting comment uh, by Clive Woodward today. Um, uh, really? Yeah. <laughs> uh, interesting. He, he said, it's interesting when you appoint a tough guy's England captain who gets into the occasional scrap at club level. I did it twice with Lawrence Delalio and Martin Johnson. Neither were angels. I can't believe that, Lawrence. <laughs> um, distance yourself from any incident because as England captain, anything you say or do will automatically be multiplied by 10 times. Now, is that what we're seeing with Dylan Hartley? Well, we're still talking about it. Had it been what? somebody else, we probably wouldn't be talking about it. Exactly. The other band would have said, you know, Lawrence Delalio gets a six-week ban for um, punching Austin on rugby tonight, which is highly, highly likely. It could be anyone. <laughs> <laughs> could be anyone of four of you. But, yeah, we wouldn't be talking about it as much, but it's the old role model situation, is it? If you're England captain, you are under the scrutiny. And I do agree a lot with what Clive said there, but the fact is, you know, I think he's got to move on, and, and so have we. Right, talking about moving on, uh, Dylan Hartley <laughs> has uh, certainly given Eddie Jones something to think about over the Christmas period. Alistair Eakin got a chance to catch up with Eddie last Thursday before the game to look back on England's year. Eddie, hotel life. You love a hotel, don't you? Still haven't got a home, have you? <laughs> well, falling out of love with a hotel life, we're looking forward to moving into a home. <laughs> it's been an extraordinary 12 months. When you reflect on it, are you surprised at how far you and the team have come in that period? I'm not surprised at the growth of the team, but definitely having a 100% record is, is, uh, is good. For you, what were the kind of key attributes that you thought that group of players were missing? 
did you feel you had the, the strength of characters there? Or at least if you had them, did you have to find a way to just tap into them a little bit to get the best of those? Well, that's what I really didn't know because you know, I didn't know the players personally. Um, so that was one of the things we had to learn very quickly. But yeah, I made a, I made a few character assumptions pretty early and, and some of them worked. Do you tend to do that with people? Oh, I think you have to in, in our game, you know, because particularly as a national coach, you don't have a lot of social downtime with the players. So you have to make those judgments fairly quickly. And that's why it's important, certainly for me early on, it was important to go around and watch the games live because you see a lot about the players when you're watching them live, what they do in between play, how they communicate to the other players, what sort of influence they have within the team. The evidence is pretty clear, Eddie, that your judgment's pretty good, but have you found instances where you've, you've got people wrong? Oh, I've definitely got a few players wrong. Yeah, we've brought players in that we shouldn't have brought in. We've given them opportunities they shouldn't have had. And maybe we haven't given opportunities to other players as quickly as we should have. I've also been struck by your comments about England players having no fear of losing. That's a big mantra for you, isn't it? Yeah, and I, I think the Six Nations is a great time to come for us because yeah, I think traditionally, particularly the first three rounds of the Six Nations, teams are petrified to lose. Yeah, absolutely. And so you see a lot of quite negative rugby, you know, where teams are happy to just give the ball to the opposition and then and then defend and hope they make mistakes. And I think, you know, to be the best team in the world, of course you can play like that. At times you have to play like that. But you also got to be proactive and take the game to the opposition. We want to take the game to France and make them feel like this is too hard for us. What are the things that you, you don't, think you've properly addressed yet with England? What do you need to get right to make sure you are top of the tree and chief contenders for, for the World Cup in 2019? Well, just in terms of the team, we're still just not consistent enough. You know, we've concentrated almost exclusively in our first year on defence and set piece. Now we'll continue that for another probably year, year and a half. I thought our defence in the autumn was immeasurably better than it was in the summer. What I'd like to see in 12 months, those two areas be absolutely consistent and then give us the, the time to work on the hardest part of the game, which is attack. The attack, okay, so that's, that's to come. What about um, Lions selection? Having lost Steve Borthwick, are you planning on filling that gap? Uh, look, look, it's a big loss for us, but we'll probably look at how we can rejig ourselves internally first and then look at to see what we need to bring in. So necessary won't be a like-for-like like for Steve. So we'll see of the current coaches we've got how we can move portfolios around and change it and get the best fit for the team. Um, I know he, he clearly goes with your blessing, but he's offering an awful lot now at a very early stage of his coaching development. Yeah, well, we want him to be you know, the best coach England's ever produced. Um, and, and at some stage in his career to be the head coach of England, that's, that's the plan we've got in place and we're working very hard at that. And so to have the opportunity to coach the best players in, 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 in the United Kingdom and Ireland, I've got to say that, don't yeah, you I? Do. Politically yeah. correct. Yeah, you absolutely do. Okay, so I've got that right. <laughs> um, then he's got a great opportunity to grow as a, as a coach. Should it come to pass that you end up being successful in Japan in a few years' time, I know your contract is to that point, would you be considering cracking on at that stage? Uh, look, I always came here to do a job for the RFU and, and that's my intention. And I think after that, 
yeah, I don't make that decision. The RFU make that decision. And, you know, my intention is to leave after the World Cup and I, and I couldn't see why that would change, you know, because I've probably got one or two coaching jobs left and I want to make sure that whatever I do after this, firstly, I do this job as well as I can, so I'm in a position after this job that England... To get either, another one. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> England want to keep me or, or some other country want me and then to do something good for rugby. Brilliant. Eddie, thank you very much. Pleasure. And you can watch the full interview with Eddie Jones on Friday night at 10 o'clock immediately after BT Sports live coverage of Glasgow's game against Racing 92. That's Eddie Jones, a perfect year this Friday at 10 on BT Sport 2 HD. Jensen, Eddie Jones' interview is an absolute joy to watch and to listen to. He just is so honest and you can see, Lawrence, that brain whirring all the time. So many interesting things just in that brief clip, so much more to listen mm. to in the full interview. The thing that leaps out is part of what the RFU said right at the start. Before we knew what Eddie Jones would do, there has to be a line of succession. We can't go searching the world again for a coach. We have to find our own coach. He seems pretty sure that coach is Steve Borthwick. Would you agree with him? Well, he's the guy that's working very closely with him. Steve is still very much in the early days of his coaching career, but uh, certainly working alongside someone like Eddie Jones is only going to accelerate that. Um, I think there's one or two people around that would argue there's a number of other candidates uh, around the premiership. But uh, Eddie Jones has got amazing rugby intelligence. When, when we interviewed him earlier on in the season, he said that when he coached Australia, he stayed a couple of years too long. It was six years, and he felt he should have gone after the World Cup. I think he's learned from that mistake at international level. He's pretty committed that he'll be there till 2019. Hopefully, it'll be a fairy tale ending for him, and then uh, you know someone else will be able to take over. But you know what I like about it is he's, he's not giving himself any fixed ideas. He's bringing in lots of other coaches. Steve Borthwick's going off with the Lions. He'll develop another coach. He's you know varying his attacking options, so he's, he's keeping his options wide open. Just on that point, I think probably four or five years is, the, is about the cycle of a coach before they start getting stale. They need to change things up, either their, their own personal, their, their staff, or the players need to change. So it's kind of difficult for coaches to push on beyond that Just time. Just hear a different voice. Mm. <clears throat> it's hard to, you know, to have continued new, fresh ideas and thoughts and team talks, being motivating or motivating your players before the game, saying different things they haven't heard you know, three years ago. So it, it's not easy. So, um, yeah, I, I think it's probably a smart move to work in cycles of four years. And it was interesting, also, what he was saying as well about the mistakes that he's made, maybe players that he, he picked that he shouldn't have, or what were you laughing at? All right, put me in trouble then, name oh, no. the players. That's what you're going to say, <laughs> no, isn't I'm it? I'm going to ask you who, who do you yep. think he was talking about, pretty much, yeah. Uh, <laughs> well, thanks. Um, I think maybe the players that he's taken off in the first half of internationals normally tells a tale. I won't say their names, um, but you know who they are. And, but he also uh, said players that he I haven't said that, Timon Harrison's well. come back and he's got his yeah. chance again. Uh, Luther Burrell obviously only played was it 26 minutes in the first test. Um, so you often get a message if you don't make half-time that the coach isn't happy with you. Um, but there's some others out there as well that haven't been included that maybe he'll get a chance to see a bit more of with a, if injuries come out. You know, Christian Wade is one of those players. He's maybe. very good at saying the right things, isn't he? About I mean, he had a real pop at Chris Robshaw before he was England coach, mm. and actually look at the turnaround in him. Wood did the same with Wood, same with Haskell. So he is willing to put it out there and then admit if he's wrong and bring them back in again. And uh, oh, is he doing it on purpose? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, he's, yeah, he's, yeah. he's just it's about stick and carrot with My certain age. players and his man management and his knowledge of, of uh, you know what those players need is is fantastic. Fantastic. And the players are responding to it so well. He now knows what his clear picture is for next season, the full list of, of internationals with the, uh, with the autumn internationals having been confirmed. So there we have the Six Nations, a tough old start against France at home, Wales away, Italy at home, Scotland at home, 
finishing with Ireland away. Let us not talk about the significance of that Ireland away game, but the chances are it's going to be a championship match for either of those teams. We'll wait and see. But now the Autumn Internationals, Argentina, Australia and Samoa. Brian, the, the tests continue so far throughout his tenure. Pretty much every, well, every game he's played has been a, a Tier 1 side, and that continues again next season. Yeah, it he, does. He is matching every test put ahead of him. He, he does, and, and he's beating the best teams. It is a great shame that they're not going to face New Zealand next year prior to the World Cup, or maybe, perhaps it'll happen in 2018, but it's just a bit of a disappointment because we want to see you know, the two best teams in the world at the moment, definitely New Zealand and, and England, going uh, at one another. Um, but it'll be a very interesting Six Nations. Like you said, uh, the form books would let, lead you to believe that that game in Dublin on, on St. Patrick's weekend, there'll be something to play for. And fingers crossed it's a grand quiet, slam. Quiet, <laughs> quiet weekend then, won't it? <laughs>Okay, let's have a look at uh, the weekend's Round 3 Champions Cup matches. Um, we'll start with Pool 1, when on Saturday Glasgow Warriors were away to Racing 92 and Leicester were playing Munster at Thorman Park. Okay, so Munster at top, 10 points, then Glasgow second, 9, uh, Leicester on 4 and Racing 92 yet to score a point. And remember, Racing and Munster um, have a game in hand in that pool too. Um, we have to talk about Glasgow's win. Before this weekend, they'd only won 18 matches from 45 Champions Cup matches. This has to be the most famous. And it wasn't just a great win, Oz, it, it was a fantastic performance. Yeah, it was. And you talk about, I think, Munster's performance as a whole team was probably the only one of the weekend which was better. I think going out there and, uh, and winning in the style they did against a very strong attacking racing side uh, puts them in good stead. They are going to have to back it up this weekend and uh, I'm sure racing will turn up with quite a few of the stars, but maybe they won't actually because we've seen with the French guys in times gone past, if they know after about two or three rounds that they're not going through, they sort of knock it on the head. I guess we, we could talk about lots of standout performances um, from the Glasgow Lads. I think we have to talk about Finn Russell because he delivered an absolute masterclass. Yeah, he was. He was class. Everything he did, uh, you know, defensively included, he was very, very strong. Um, I think everything that was good about them kind of came through him. Uh, their defence, everything was built on, on their defence, essentially. And, you know, we'll, we'll cover it a little bit later on, but some of the stats, if you see, you know, you see it, it doesn't actually equate to how the performance and the result ended up. So it just shows there must have been some really great individual performances. And that, of course, is the great joy of these matches right in the middle of the pool stages. Back to back, you get a chance to put things right. Lawrence Bryant, let's talk tactics. Let's uh, wallow briefly in the beautiful performance from Glasgow. Uh, a game plan perfectly thought out, perfectly executed, but they have to back it up. They've got to beat them at Scotston. What do they do to beat Racing? What do Racing have to do? to make sure they're still in with a shout in this pool. Well, the funny thing about Rossi's, Rossi's performance, it, they weren't that far off. Uh, I think the difference, essentially, between the two teams was the defence of Glasgow's, as I mentioned there a couple of minutes ago. The ferocity of it, their intent, the willingness to get off the line, uh, close down the space, you know, some great reads. And there's some big men in this wrestling team, but it didn't matter. Uh, Fizarro, I think it was, had a phenomenal game, Lawrence. And even, you know, right at the, right at the death to deny them a, a losing bonus point, that's your, that's your, um, your, your loose head sub-prop making, you know, corner flagging and making great tackles on Wenceslas-Larray. So I think it was phenomenal uh, effort from Glasgow. You have to remember, too, that no team is qualified having zero points after two games. So it's all up, it's, it's, it's all up for, uh, for Rassing. And I think, you know, Brian's absolutely right. You know, Rassing, there was an element of complacency, I think. Their first half performance was nowhere near good enough. They weren't at the, at the races at all. 
the second half, and we've got the stats up here, you know, if you looked at these stats on their own, you'd go, who, you know, how, how the hell in, in earth did um, Glasgow win this game? You know, this is Racing. They made 382 metres. Look at that, 16 defenders beaten, 17 offloads, you know, five clean breaks. Unbelievable statistics, but unfortunately for Racing, they left it, you know, too little, too late. And then if we go to the second half and the defensive effort from Glasgow, I mean, this was undoubtedly the result of the round. They put in such a massive shift, as Brian said, in terms of their defensive effort. I suppose the interesting thing is that, that for Racing, because they've still got a game to play, this is, uh, they're not out of it completely. Are we going to see a more, slightly more pragmatic approach for them in the second game? Maybe, maybe a bit more kicking. They tried to run everything and they were caught short, certainly in that first half. Yeah, they did. I just don't think they quite took their opportunities like they ordinarily do. And, you know, Glasgow will have to have a similarly strong defensive effort if, if they're to curtail them and keep them out again. But if you just look at some, some of the footage, so nine times within uh, their 22 did Rustin get in the second half. But for only a little over 90 seconds, you know, that's, that's incredible that they managed to keep them to that. Nine's a lot of entries for, 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 for that amount of time. But the big thing for me is the amount of turnovers they won. Glasgow are a team that play high octane, high offloading game, but they're also, you know, from a defensive point of view, their proficiency is phenomenal and their ability to turn over players is going to be key again if they're to thwart, uh, to thwart uh, Racing. We heard Lawrence uh, Austin rather saying that he thinks maybe that the, the complete team performance was the Munster performance. Yeah. Big win for them over Leicester Tigers. You wouldn't want to be a coach in the East Midlands at the moment, Lawrence. It's not going well for Leicester and for Northampton Saints. This is the headline from the Daily Mail. Leicester Tigers ready to axe director of rugby Richard Cockrell after humiliating defeat by Munster. They were nilled by Munster. This is Richard Cockrell's reaction after the game, during the interview, he never shies away from, from an important comment. This is what he had to say. Oh, credit to Munster, they played very well. We were beaten in every department, so um, they're on top form. Um, no excuses from us. We have an opportunity next week to put some pride back into what happened today, but uh, beaten in every department. Beaten in every department. That's not going to sound good no, if you're a Tigers fan. No, it's not going to sound good. Do you know what? I don't think anyone was surprised by the defeat because Leicester's away record this season has not been great. I think what everyone was shocked by was the manner of the defeat. You know, you look at these statistics, which are available on the BT Sport uh, Rugby Tonight website. You know, they're all in Munster's favour. I mean, I think the only one they won was the penalty count and was, maybe, was, and maybe yeah, the scrums. Yeah, so of, mean, 20, of 20 different stats that we actually yeah. accumulate, only one. And that'll be embarrassing to a, a, a European very proud uh, side. And I think the key to it for me, really, is that the, the, the passion that you need to play at this level, the intensity, the emotion that you come out of the changing room, particularly away from home, they were smashed at the breakdown in the first half completely. They were smashed in the tackle area. Mm. Thought Munsters, you know, look at these stats, Brian. I mean, they, they tell the story completely. In, in 15 years playing and since I've retired, I have never, ever seen a number like that. As a, as a, as a defence, you would hope to make less than 10% misses. But 98% completion rate is phenomenal. If they're able to do that again, I just don't see Leicester being able to live with them. And what, what it shows is, is a, a Munster team playing to their strengths, but Lawrence, Leicester falling well below what's expected from a Tigers team. Yeah, absolutely. As I said, you know, they, they got the emotion wrong. Ben Youngs has been outstanding, OK, in the Autumn International Series, but the, the only time we really saw him was when he got subbed off in this game. If your forwards don't give you the platform, it doesn't matter what you've got behind the scrum. And you've got to give credit to Munster. They came out with that ferocity. Their chop tackling was super. The choke tackling, they didn't allow Leicester any opportunity at the breakdown. You know, if you're going to get, you've got to get over the advantage line. Look at that. And, you know, Munster's intensity at the breakdown really set the tone for the game. 
Yeah, let, do you know what? Leicester aren't a team that gets out-muscled very often, certainly not my experience of playing against them. They were always one of the most ferocious teams. Well, I just wonder what training was like, has been like that this week um, with Aaron Major and with Cockrell. He'll be sowing the seed, making sure that, first of all, they have intent and, and they have desire to get, you know, become collision winners this weekend. What do we make of Munster, though? Phenomenal performance and players, maybe, who are coping with that transition from international rugby back to club rugby, provincial rugby, and playing so well. I mean, Conor Murray... Already people are talking about Lions starting 15. It's always a bit early, but this man, surely a shoo-in. What everyone was talking before the game about, you know, the, 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 the you know, fight for the nine jerseys between Ben Youngs and, and, and Conor Murray. As Lauren said, Ben Youngs got subbed off with 25 minutes to go. That would have been right up Conor Murray Street knowing that he, he'd outplayed him. The small little touches, he, the, the, his whole game is, is very simple. He doesn't do the extravagant, but all his small skills he does brilliantly well. And the pro, the pro 12 teams are on fire at the moment. You know, I mean, Ireland, are, you know, they're, they're playing on a roll, their intensity, their emotion, Munster. And they are now in control of this group. If they win at Welford Road, you've got to feel that they're looking at a home quarter-final at Thoman Park. Just one yeah. final thing. The proficiency of 2.89 um, points every time they reach the red zone. That is phenomenal, particularly when you see it against a big fat zero. Do you understand what that meant? You have no idea what that meant. I have no idea what that meant, but just nod. Just nod. It's Brian O'Driscoll. When he talks, you nod. And, of course, Leicester Tigers missing some key players for that return fixture at Welford Road. Huge pressure on them, but one thing you can guarantee is that Leicester Tigers will rise to the occasion. Right, well, let's see how things stand in Pool 2. And if you're a Wasp fan, you'll be very happy indeed. They're sitting top of the pile. Connick just behind them, so... This weekend's encounter at the sports ground, it'll be a tasty affair. Toulouse, that statistic is just crazy, guys, isn't it? Their first win in seven European games for the four times champions. Zebra with absolutely zip, which might be the reason why we're expecting two teams to come out of this pool. Lawrence, uh, Wasp will be smiling for two reasons. One, they're top of the pool, they're playing some great rugby, scoring the most points. Curtly Beale finally gets onto the field. A lift for him, a lift for the players, a lift for, for Wasps as a club to have him out. Yeah, he's been out for seven months, hasn't he? Big, nasty injury. Um, he's worked his socks off, by all accounts, to get himself fit again. And uh, as comebacks go, his debuts, because it's the first game for his club in a new country, new competition, new shirt, you know, he was uh, certainly confident. And, uh, you know, having had a long-term knee injury myself, you know, it's great to see that first try where he just ran hard and straight. So, you know, he was up for it. And as I said... Uh, be interested to see how he slots in. Obviously, no problem with uh, Jimmy Gopeth playing 10. Uh, now with Cipriani coming back into the mix, Dai Young's got some seriously tough decisions. So he played well. I have to say, outstanding performances as well from the likes of Joe Launchbury and, uh, and Nathan Hughes as well. Yeah, we'll be talking about those in a minute and we'll also be discussing um, Kaibia's yellow card too. But you mentioned Dai Young smiling. He was smiling about the win and he was smiling about a certain Kaibia as well. This is what he had to say. Apart from a yellow card, which I thought was harsh, probably at, at the best, but um, you know he's, he's you can't speak early enough for him. He's worked his socks off to come to the other end of the world to play your rugby is tough enough, but to arrive injured is, is really tough. And he's worked his socks off in that uh, physio room with the physios to to get himself back on the field, and, and we just go and enjoy yourself. But it can't be a better way and enjoy yourself and your first touch scoring a try. So we're going to see a lot more of him, hopefully. And it was great just to get him out in the park. Yeah, I've got a tweet there from uh, Wasps Rugby. Hell of a captain's innings today by at Joe Launchby everywhere yet again and always coming up 
with a big moment when needed. And Joe Launchbury's response, that was rugby far too much trust in my face there at Curtly Real. Uh, you will soon learn. Great to have you out there. Um, you touched upon uh, Joe Launchbury just now, Lawrence. He, he's such a, a softly spoken captain, isn't he? Where he leads by example. And the way he was kind of smashing into rucks and, and he made two crucial turnovers in that third quarter where, when Connacht were on top that were imperative. Yeah. I mean, I think he was, you know, he got his chance with England again, isn't he? And uh, he was probably one of England's best players in the, in the two games. Then he picked up a ban um, for, uh, for a stray boot. So he's had two weeks, to, two weeks off and he's come straight back in. I thought he was outstanding. As you said, he made two crucial turnovers. Connaught were, you know, they certainly didn't roll over. They were a tough, tough side to get the better of. And uh, it was this turnover that really ended up being, uh, you know, the changing one. Was go up the other end and score a try. And all of a sudden the game is, is back in their hands. And uh, great to see him playing well. Very interesting, isn't it? You know, we talk about international players. They've been playing at international pace and intensity for a few weeks. Then they come back into their club side and they inject that international intensity into their club team. And I love his reaction as well from such a kind of chilled out man. His reaction on his try there kind of showed how much it meant, Brian, didn't it? Yeah, I think, listen, you know, every point is vital and uh, that mightn't have been the bonus, but it was on the way to getting a bonus point and that could be huge, crucial come round six. Be a tough fixture for them over in the sports ground on Saturday afternoon. You know, everyone talks about the, 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 the pouring rain and the terrible conditions there. Connacht don't want that. They want to drive all, you know, such as their skill set. So we should get a cracking game. Good. It's a good job he hadn't continued through without throwing the ball into the crowd because whoever it was who came in to hug him, if he caught him then, it would have taken his head off. Caught him early. Didn't let him do that. Um, Austin, Lawrence is talking about what Eddie Jones, his mantra to the players, go back to your clubs, play like internationals, be the best players at your clubs. Nathan Hughes grew into his role with England. Uh, but certainly continued that trend, did what Eddie Jones wanted. Big game from him. Yeah, he got a lot of responsibility put on his shoulders, didn't he, after Vunapola's injury, but he certainly took it in the game. And I think this is the bit that he does probably better than Vunapola. He, he's very, very quick. He breaks through the middle. Maybe could have given the ball to the faster guy on the outside and seen what Robson could have done there, but I, I think that he's certainly improving as a player. He had a bit of a dip, didn't he, towards the end of last season in terms of form. Maybe he was carrying some injuries, but again, he's so strong. For me, I'd just like to see him carry a little bit more with the head down. I think he carries quite high, but he's so strong he often gets away with it. And with the new interpretations of the tackle law on the head, the best place to put your head is right in front of your body because it makes it very difficult for people to tackle you. Thinking tactics already, I like that, good thinking. <laughs> best to do this, carry with the ball on your shoulder <laughs> and then you can't stop the offload. <laughs> yeah, and no-one will tackle you because they're laughing too hard. <laughs> Everyone's um, a winner. Lawrence, you, you, you know what, uh, what Pat Lamb and Di Young are going to be working on mm. in the build-up to this game at the weekend. For Wasp, it's going to be their scrum. For, yeah. for Connacht, it has to be their line-out. It was appalling. Yeah, it fell apart. I mean, you know, credit to uh, Kieran and Marley who put a lot of pressure on, on the Connacht line-out. But... You know, the set piece in, you know, for both sides is so, so crucial. You get yourself into those attacking positions and Connor set themselves up a few times but simply turn the ball over. And for Wasps, you know, this has been an area of strength over the last couple of seasons under Dai Young. And at times it was OK, but Connor exposed them a little bit. And I'm sure Dai Young would have work, been working very, very hard on the scrum machine, on live scrummaging throughout, this, um, throughout the week because it's going to be a fascinating game. These are two sides that really like to throw the ball around. Hopefully... Um, you know, we get some decent weather uh, and it'll be a high-scoring match from both sides. OK, we good that. OK, so we have a look at Pool 3 then. Um, so there you go, Sarian Sarsons top, 14 points. Toulon second with nine, but remember they have to still play away at Sarries and Scarlet's from Fort and Sale yet to pick up um, a point. Um, we will be talking about Mario Toje in a minute because he was like superhuman. Uh, but this is what Eddie Jones had to say about him first. Well, you know, he's got 
enormous potential. And one of the things he brings to a team is energy. Yeah, he's a very energetic boy. You know, he, he brings a certain dynamism to the team. He's got athletic qualities that could make him a standout player. But he's a bit like a, a, a test batsman. You know, he comes in, gets a couple of hundreds in his first test. Then players start, the opposition start to work out where his weakness is. And now it's his ability to work hard at his game and make his game better. So the test for Murrow's not his talent. It's a test for his desire to be sustainably successful. And that'll come from hard work, reflection, the ability to, to grow and not think he's made it. And so the test for Marrow's coming now. Hasn't been, hasn't had it yet. Uh, Marrow told you he was phenomenal. He's like a man possessed. Now, I'm going to put it out there. Um, Dylan Hartley is England captain, and, and you may well continue to do so. Marrow told Future England captain? 100%. I mean, I think you can see what Eddie Jones is, is saying. He's trying to keep everyone's feet on the floor, uh, especially Marrow himself. He's had the most stellar rise. You know, unbelievable for someone so young. His decision-making, you know, his error rate is so low. His, his, the amount of times he's in the game is incredible. His decision-making, uh, his ability to influence games there, he's, he's using it with his strength, you know, in the tackle. Um, you know, at times he's, he's got that presence in the line-out as well where he's, he can get up and, and jump. Um, you know, he's getting himself around. Uh, you know, he had a, a little bit of time off, didn't he, with a little injury for four or five weeks. He's come back as if he's not had a layoff. This is something I'd like to see a bit more of. There's so many good ball carriers in the, in the Saracens and England side that he often doesn't get the opportunity at times to, to carry the ball. But uh, he is some player. I think one of the best players in the world. I think what Eddie Jones has done brilliantly, I love Brian, is just the way he's kind of trying to keep everyone's feet on the floor. He's an England captain in the making, no doubt, and uh, who knows, with the World Cup in 2019, it might be that Eddie Jones decides at the right time to accelerate that captaincy ahead of time. Mm. Brian, it, it, we're pretty sure that Saracens are going to top their group, and it's, the question then is where does Toulon come? They could go through as one of the best three qualifiers, or they might not garner enough points to do that, be out at the pool stage. Where do they stand? Yeah, I don't think it's quite vintage Toulon just yet. I think, they, similar to previous years, they've, they've missed Giddo. Um, he kind of is the heartbeat and, and makes them tick. Um, and let's be honest, Parky Scarlet, yeah, granted, um, Scarlets don't have anything really to play for. They're not going to qualify, but they are not easy beat there, so it's not guaranteed points. And then the huge fixture is going to be back in Allianz Park, as uh, in round six uh, against Saracens. Um, and that'll be, you know, they'll, they'll know what they have to do in that game when it does come around. <coughs> Yeah, pressure on them at Allianz Park. Saracens love playing there. They served up plenty of decent tries against Sale. But let's go to Pool 4 and see how that stands at the moment. Leinster are in control of that one. Montpellier on their heels. Castra and Northampton Saints pretty much out of that one. And the Saints are having a miserable season domestically and in Europe. Tom Wood has been one of their star performers and he was fairly vocal come the end of the game. This is what he said. I didn't feel we were anywhere near the levels of emotions and intensity that you need on a night like this. I'm searching for the answers. I don't know what they are. We were flat and we didn't have the intensity. Interesting that that totally contradicts what Dorian West was saying, saying that they were up for it. Now, obviously, they had to reshuffle the team when Dylan Harley got his red card. To the consternation of many, and possibly Tom Wood himself, he was the man who was sacrificed. Um... Are we surprised about that? Austin, when you see a player of that quality coming off the field, does that surprise you? Well, I think it's an admission that the game's over. So is the tournament. They took off pick em all as well. Um, it's almost you're saying, right, let's put our eggs in another basket. It's going to be difficult for us. We can't get out of this group. We've got a lot of big games. We've got to fight back in the Aviva. And uh, they've got to 
prepare their troops for other battles. But I think, you know, we can take too much... We're taking too much away from Leinster. I thought they were absolutely brilliant on the night. And the thing that's really impressed me the most about the Irish size, and Drick will know this better than most, is the, the young players coming in. You know, these Irish teams, they haven't had a shortage of injuries. They've had lots and lots of injuries. But you've got Cadbury starting at 10. He lasts 15 <coughs> minutes. He goes off. Ross Byrne comes on and then puts in a decent performance. And it's not just Leinster where these young guys are coming through. A year ago... All the Celtic nations, particularly the Irish boys, were going, oh, this is turning into an English-Franco uh, competition. But this year, they've been immense in the way that they've come back. Yeah, they've been good. But it was a, a bad night for all involved with the Northampton Saints, especially their coaching staff and the director of rugby, Jim Malden. He spoke to us after the match. Yes, the pressure must be on everyone here, Jim, and it's obviously not helping things on, on the fields of play. How do you get your team out of this rut? Well... You know, we've, we've lost at Leinster at home before and gone away to, to win. So um, you've just got to pull together and it's as, it's as simple as that. You can feel sorry for yourself and, and look at your injury problems and your disciplinary problems. Or you can say, come on, let's, uh, let's get together. Let, let's uh, let, let, let's put, it, put it right. Yeah, a difficult time, time for Jim. And I guess he couldn't really say anything but that uh, post-match. Um, I don't know, what's the answers at Northampton at the moment? Well, I think short, you... short term, they can put it right. Um, they're up against a, a tough Leinster side away from home. They can, you know, the players have got to put it right on the field, you know, minus Dylan Hartley. Longer term, I think there's some issues there. You know, if you don't change the coaches, and Jim's been there, and Dorian, well, Jim's been there 10 years, you need to keep changing your players, and Northampton just simply haven't signed enough frontline players over the last couple of years. There's a lot to be said. I think they're four, they're 400, allegedly 450,000 under the wage cap. If the wage cap goes up another half a million, there'll be 950. They're just getting left behind because they're skinned. And when you start hearing uh, statements coming out of the club from their chairman, Tony Hewitt, saying, you know, we need the crowd, we need the supporters to be with us, you, you, you wonder why that is being released now. What do they gain from something like that? It, it's a sign possibly of a little bit more panic. Well, Yes, possibly. I mean, they need a reaction. Look, we've all been on sides that have been humped in Europe, been beaten. You know, I know I have, and I'm sure the lads have at some point. Yes, you have, Austin. I haven't. Yeah, I've been on a side. You know, what, what we need is a reaction. So yeah. I, mean, Sorry, I definitely a, hasn't. I definitely we need, we need a reaction from Northampton, and hopefully we'll get one. Mm -mm. Well, Leinster needed a reaction, uh, Brian, this season. A miserable campaign last year, this year. What a turnaround. Forward power was key for them, but also the young boys coming through. We, we bigged up Gary Ringrose before kickoff, and you hope that he's going to perform, and he did, and Yeah, how. he did. Platform set by the, by the tight five. I thought they were exceptional. Um, Gary Ringrose is a talented player. You know, a beautiful nut from, um, from Joey Cadbury there. Um, he's, he's got <laughs> an echo. Cadbury. I, you did say Cadbury. A little bounce on the outside. This guy is, has knowledge um, beyond his years. He's only 21 years of age, a nice little trail through it. He just is putting his game together really well. It's relatively unassumed guy, not looking for, for headlines, just trying to work hard and be part of, part of a team, and he's working into that very nicely. And you said, didn't you, on the night, the way they started that game, they were like an international side, weren't they? Well, I just felt that their international players, you know, and Ireland have been one of the outstanding teams th this year, came back into their club side and injected that kind of energy that you... That you that conversely, Northampton's international players didn't inject. OK, let's have a look at the Pool 5 table then. Um, and you can see there, so Claremont top on 12, uh, Bordeaux uh, have nine. Oh, stop! Every time, why do every time I say Bordeaux, you laugh. That's it's Bordeaux, isn't it? Bordeaux. Oh, shush, will you? She knows um, how to say Carberry. Yes, it's not Bridget Bordeaux. And then um, Ulster um, with a great win at the weekend, and Exeter just picking up two points from three games. Um, quick 
word on them then at the weekend, Brian. I know you were in studio watching it, but um, they, they, they had all the territory, well, a lot of the territory and a lot of the possession, but they just didn't seem to have the physicality against Bordeaux. No, it wasn't the world's greatest game. You know, it's uh, an afternoon that you won't get back. But <laughs> alas, um, from a Bordeaux point, point of view, they'll be delighted in a way, uh, victory, setting up a, a great return fixture. And, you know, it's all but gone for Exeter. So um, you'd have to imagine Bordeaux could potentially be a second uh, qualifier from that group. Yeah. Um, lots to play for still. Ulster will have a say in that. Yeah, the fourth weekend is always the big weekend because there's a lot of sides mm -hmm. on nine points. Whoever yeah. gets a bonus point this weekend really starts to move away and, and chase that second place. Thanks for listening to the Rugby Tonight podcast. We'll be back again very soon with an Eddie Jones special edition. See you then. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.